So these last um, few months, we've been going through the book of Judges, not every verse, not even every chapter, but a good part of Judges. And what we're going to be looking at today is one of those parts that I didn't expect or plan uh, to preach on. Um, It's between Gideon, who's a judge that uh, we know pretty well if we've been a Christian for a while and in the church for a while, and then after where we are is a guy by the name of Samson, which a lot of people have heard of Samson. But in between, uh, we have Jephthah. Not nearly as well known, but there are a couple of chapters dedicated to him. And as I, as I dug into it a little bit, um, I was like, boy, there's some really striking things for our lives. And I'm not going to read all of the chapters. We're going to read uh, pieces of Judges 11 and 12 so you get the idea. And then in the message, the rest will be filled in. But basically, these chapters, just so you... what what. What they show us is something that we see quite a bit in the Bible, quite a bit in the Old Testament especially. And this is a section of Scripture that shows us how much God's people need Jesus coming into this world. In other words, it shows us, like a lot of other passages, how much humankind needs Christmas. So with that in mind, we're going to read through select verses from these chapters. Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior. His father was Gilead. His mother was a prostitute. Gilead's wife also bore him sons, and when they were grown up, they drove Jephthah away. You are not going to get any inheritance in our family, they said, because you are the son of another woman. And so Jephthah fled from his brothers and settled in the land of Tob, where a group of adventurers gathered around him and followed him. Sometime later, when the Ammonites made war on Israel, the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. Come, they said, be our commanders so we can fight the Ammonites. And Jephthah said to them, didn't you hate me and drive me from my father's house? Why do you come to me now that you're in trouble? The elders of Gilead said to him, Nevertheless, we are turning to you now. Come with us to fight the Ammonites, and you will be our head over all who live in Gilead. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. If you give the Ammonites into my hands, whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's, and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Then Jephthah went over to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gave them into his hands. He devastated 20 towns, um, and there's some more detail there. In the conclusion, thus Israel, whoa, thus Israel subdued Ammon. When Jephthah returned to his home in Mizpah, who should come out to meet him but his daughter, dancing to the sound of the tambourine? She was an only child. Except for her, he had neither son nor daughter. And when he saw her, he tore his clothes and cried, Oh, my daughter, you've made me miserable and wretched because I have, made a, I have a vow to keep to the Lord that I cannot break. My father, she replied, you have given your word to the Lord. 
Uh, do to me just as you promised, now that the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the Ammonites. But grant me this one request, she said. Give me two months to roam the hills and weep with my friends because I will never marry. You may go, he said. And he let her go for two months, and she and the girls went into the hills and wept because she would never marry. And after the two months, she returned to her father, and he did to her as he had vowed. And she was a virgin. The men of Ephraim, another tribe, called out their forces, crossed over to the Zephon, and said to Jephthah, not a tribe of Israel, I mean a tribe of Israel, not an enemy. Okay, so that's what's going on. The men of Ephraim, brothers to Jephthah and his guys, why did you go fight the Ammonites without calling us to go with you? And they're not subtle. We're going to burn down your house over your head. Definitely different times. Jephthah then called together the men of Gilead and fought against Ephraim. The Gileadites struck them down, and they captured the fords of the Jordan River leading to Ephraim. And whenever a survivor of Ephraim said, let me cross over, the men of Gilead would ask him, are you an Ephraimite? And if he replied, no, they said, all right, say Shibboleth. And if he said Sibboleth, because he could not pronounce the word correctly, they seized him and killed him at the fords of the Jordan. 42,000 Ephraimites were killed at that time. Jephthah led Israel six years. Okay? The best way, I think, to capture what's going on in these couple chapters, in these verses, and to see what they mean for our world today, for our life today, is to back up just a bit and talk about the idea of the covenant. Not super, super common word among Christians everywhere, I don't think. In worship, for us, it comes up um, in baptism. Like when we read Genesis 17, 7, Uh, where God said to Abraham, who's the father of all believers, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. But it's not just in that passage. It's not just in baptism. Uh, Covenant is an idea that permeates all of Scripture. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a big word, and it, it, the word for covenant is found over 300 times in the Bible. What is it? Well, we could say this. Um, the covenant is the exclusive, gracious relationship God has established with his people. The covenant is the exclusive, gracious relationship that God has established with his people. And and, and so you can see, covenant is really about the message of the whole Bible. God's saving relationship with us, his people, throughout all of history. The Sinai covenant, back in the book of Deuteronomy, is important when we think about this idea of God's relationship with his people and this idea of the covenant. The people gathered around Mount Sinai, and God said there, he spoke to them, He said, here is all that I've done for you. You were slaves in Egypt. I rescued you from there with miraculous signs, thinking of the plagues, the Red Sea crossing, and now 
My presence has been with you, a pillar of fire at night, a cloud by day. I've been going before you. I've been leading you. I've been guiding you. I've been protecting you in this wilderness. I'm committed to being your God. And so this is a pretty good deal for the people. The God of the universe, the most powerful being there ever has been and ever will be, wants to enter into a relationship with them. He wants to keep them. He wants to help them. He wants to save them. He wants to keep them safe. Then God says, now here's your part, because every covenant has two sides. You be my people. Live as my special chosen people. I'm holy. You be holy too. And then he says, and here are ten commandments to show you exactly how. And they're about loving me above all, anyone, anything else, loving those and serving those around us as we would love and serve ourselves. In other words, this is how you can be holy. This is how you can say, thank you, O God, for all that you've done for me. And he says, this is the life of blessing for you, my precious people. The other side of it is, he says, if you don't keep up your end of the covenant, I'm going to be sending my prophets, covenant messengers, to remind you of what we've agreed to here. And we see that all throughout the Old Testament. And if you don't listen to my covenant messengers, the prophets, then punishment will come. There will be blessing for those who live in accordance with the covenant stipulations, but judgment if you do not. And so the covenant formula, the covenant relationship, has two parts. I will be your God, and you will be my people. The days of Jephthah are an example of the chaos that ensues when the covenant relationship with God is not cherished, when it's ignored, and when it's compromised. This is a long point. The third one's going to be even longer, but I know you guys can handle this. We see this chaos, this compromise, in four different ways in these verses. We see the chaos, the compromise, in the leader of God's people during this time, the judge himself. Unlike his brothers, Jephthah's mother, right, you read it, she was a prostitute. And we could assume that she was a temple prostitute because that was what the false worship that was in the land was all about. And Israel had succumbed to that false worship. Seeing temple prostitutes was a big part of it. And, and so because of that, his half-brothers kicked him out of town. And we read, right, that he ended up out hanging with adventurers, and we might assume from that more like a group of thugs, outlaws. And so the leader of God's people is illegitimate. He's a half-breed. He's an outsider. Uh, the judge himself is proof that Israel has failed to give allegiance to the Lord God and 
proof that Israel, his people, has broken covenant. After the elders ask him to command Israel's army against the Ammonites, Jephthah doesn't immediately go to war. In our reading, we skipped over this part, but he doesn't immediately battle. He first of all sends a letter to the Ammonite king, and what that letter does, and it's pretty long, it's kind of interesting if you want to look back and catch all the verses in Judges 11 and 12, or even have it open now, this letter rehearses the history of Israel's relationship with Ammon in the past. And it describes, it. basically Jephthah's like, why are you guys doing this? I mean, for hundreds of years, we've left each other be. And he urges this current king to keep up that long-standing agreement, deal. I don't know if it was written down, but there was clearly an agreement there, sort of an unspoken treaty. Well, we go, he fights because we read the king of Ammon ignores the letter. But this letter reveals a problem because the covenant meant that Israel was to have an exclusive relationship with God. Side deals weren't allowed. All God's enemies in the land were to be rooted out because of their false worship. Those enemies were battled and killed and rooted out because they all rejected the Lord God. God said, no treaties. I'm going to be the one who protects you. You don't need treaties. You don't need political deals. Agreements with people like this threatened the covenant relationship because idols, false worship, would remain in the land, would remain nearby, and plus there'd be a temptation for Israelites to marry unbelievers. And no treaties, no agreements, because God was to be their only hope. That's, that's two of the major issues. A third one is revealed right before the battle. We read it. It's this really crazy vow that Jephthah made. He says to God, if you, if you give me victory in the battle, I'll sacrifice to you the first person who comes out of my house when I re return home, which is really goofy, right? It's really odd. And, and we might think, I think our, our, the, I think our Bible reading, our, our translation, you know, there are many translations of the Bible. I think it says, I'm pretty sure it says, I will sacrifice you to you the first thing that comes out of my house. So when you read it that way, it's like, well, yeah, they sacrificed animals to give thanks and praise to God. So I'm sure that's what he was talking about, right? Well, no, the original word is specifically referring to a person. That's what he prays to God. I'm going to sacrifice you the first person that comes out of my house. Maybe he figured it'd be a servant or something like that. Like, okay, that wouldn't be as big a deal to get rid of a servant, but it was sadly his only daughter. And, and so that vow reveals another major problem, a rejection of God, covenant chaos, because God, because God in Deuteronomy, he specifically told his people, do not 
sacrifice human beings. And he had to say that because they were kind of barbarians and they were living among barbarians who were doing human sacrifice all the time, even child sacrifice. Those people thought that in order to get things from their gods, that's what they needed to do. And so Jephthah, the leader of the people of God during this time, he was into false worship, bad stuff. And he thought he had to bargain with God to get good things to happen in his life. He didn't even know, though he was leading the army, that God was a gracious God and that we don't have to always be appeasing God. He just wants us to thank and praise him uh, for his goodness to us. And Jephthah didn't even know that because God is gracious, it would be very unlikely that God would have expected him to carry out this vow. And so he goes ahead and does it. It's all because he didn't know God. It's because he was into false worship. We see the covenant chaos in the person of Jephthah, the judge, the letter, the vow, and we also see it in that God's people battle each other. And we see it especially in that secret password. Remember it, Shibboleth? The sign of the covenant back then was circumcision. And baptism for us today. And that sign of the covenant, like all signs of the covenant, that was to unite God's people, the brothers and sisters of the family of faith, the believers. And it was to set them apart from all other people in the world. And instead, these, these people in Jephthah's day are coming up with their own signs, this code word undermining the covenant sign that God had, and their sign is specifically creating division between people who are supposed to be brothers in the Lord. And so the culmination of all of this is showing us just how dark it is when you live outside of God's covenant. How dark it is without a relationship with the Lord lived as he intends us to live with him. And you know, we get this because we do the same sorts of things. We can make bargains with God. Hey, it, God, if, if you help me just get through these exams and do pretty well, you know what? I'll give up this or that in my life. But God doesn't work like that. We don't need to appease him. He's a God of grace. In Jesus, he will freely give you and me whatever we need. He's happy to do it. All we have to do is ask him in faith and respond with thanks and gratitude. Also, instead of an exclusive relationship with God, we also can have little side deals with the things of this world too. And those can infiltrate our hearts and pull us away from a relationship with God. Uh, just like if a, if a husband or a wife has a side relationship with, with someone else, you know what, that's going to undermine the primary, the marriage relationship, right? But 
So we can worship God, say we love God, but yet have little side deals. Hold on to certain things in a worldly lifestyle in our hearts, in this or that area of our life. Also, like the use of that code word, that secret password, people in the church can also have the tendency to add something extra beyond just the signs of the covenant that God has given us. A condition, a shibboleth and say to, to people around us, hey, if you can't pronounce this word, you know what, you're not with us. And, and we can do that in a lot of different ways. Uh, if we'll say, hey, people come by, like you gotta give, churches could say this, you have to give a certain amount of your money to this church. Or you've got to sing certain songs, the ones that, that we really like, or You've got to vote for this or that political party, this or that political candidate, or if you don't, if you don't dress like us, guess what? You're on the outside. All of those, and there's so many other ways that churches, very openly sometimes, but also more subtly, can create division. When in fact, God wants us to be united around His Word, His Spirit, his mission, and all of these issues are why we need Jesus coming so much. And so we see that despite this chaos and Israel's constant compromising, God is determined to go forward to Bethlehem, the place of Jesus' birth, and to Jesus, the one who redeems and restores his people to wholeness and harmony in their relationship with him and with others. I'm going to put that on there because it's long. But again, I know you can handle it. So God was determined to save his lost, confused, disobedient people. And the light would be coming to pierce the darkness of our lives the one who is the judge of all judges, Jesus. From Bethlehem, there would come peace. There would come accord. There would come grace. All of the opposite of what we find in these verses in Judges. And all the opposite of what can often be in our own hearts and minds and lives. The one who would come, Jesus, would be fully of Israel and fully God. No mixture, born of a virgin, the Virgin Mary, not a temple prostitute. And for Jesus, there wouldn't be even a hint of compromise in his life. Nothing but walking in a close relationship with the Heavenly Father his whole life long, all the way to the cross, in order to pay the debt for all of us, you and me, who have compromised our lives and often live in chaos by not keeping our end of our relationship with God. He it would be a perfect and effective sacrifice for sin on the cross, planned meticulously from before time began, 
instead of that careless and useless vow and sacrifice that we read about. And so Christmas solves our chaos, our compromises. All we have to do is turn to Jesus and ask him who we know has come into the world to also truly come into our hearts and our homes and our church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we thank you for your word and even for passages like this, not because they're so great, uh, there's a lot of horrible things there, but Lord, because they show us um, how great our need is for you, how great people's need has always been for you. And it shows us, Lord, how in having side deals with the devil, with the world, with the sin in our own hearts, uh, by, by making compromises, uh, agreements we shouldn't be making with the, the world, instead of having our allegiance, our allegiance solely to you, Lord, it shows us how we're, we're not so different. And, and we can have uh, trouble and sorrow and uh, chaos in our lives too when we reject you, when we're not following you as we're called to. And so uh, we, we call out and we seek, oh God, the child of Bethlehem again, and we cling to his cross uh, where he died for all our compromises, where if we believe in Jesus, his perfect life, will be counted as ours. And we will live in uh, accord and harmony with you, our God, our Creator, and we can live in unity and accord with our brothers and sisters all over the world, and even our brothers and sisters right here at Faith Church. Bless us as we seek to live for you, as we cultivate a close walk and relationship with you, And we can do that, Lord, with your help, with your Holy Spirit filling us as we follow your word. Keep us true, keep us close to you, and bless us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.